Welcome to the TWS Sports Podcast. How dare Draco Malfoy tell Martin Brundle to go away? Lewis has stitched me right up here. He's supposed to be my mate. Midway through the flight, he suddenly decided that he want to put me in the overhead locker in the plane. Everybody in the Bears team found all these mouldy hairs in the bottom of their bag. Felt his hand on me. And look back and he says, we're going to get this picture, champ. Oh my goodness. That has got to be the worst attempt of a drop goal in televised history. Hello, my name is Simon Lazeby and I'm a presenter on Sky Sports. You may have seen me present sports such as the F1, international rugby, England cricket and golf from around the world. However, I wanted to come and give you some information about the TWS Sports Podcast. The TWS Sports Podcast is the only podcast in the UK which is hosted by autistic students who interview some of the biggest names in sport. Each week, they speak to a different sports person and delve deep into their lives, talking about the highs and the lows of their career and what makes them a top athlete in their sport. The TWS Sports Podcast were voted the best sports podcast in the world that promotes social equality. They picked up that honour at the 2021 Sports Podcast Awards. So if you're a sports fan and want to hear these great stories with questions from some amazing young people who promote autism, then the TWS Sports Podcast is the podcast for you. Technoward School is a school for autistic children and young adults, and we have set this podcast up to provide our pupils with a fantastic opportunity to develop a range of skills whilst interviewing top sportsmen and women from a variety of different sports. Joining us today on the TWS WS Sports Podcast is a former rugby player. He played for England and Le- Leicester Leicester Tigers. Welcome to the podcast, Leon Lloyd. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for joining us. Okay. We'd like to start start our podcast with some quick fire questions before we start talking about your your rugby career. Are you ready? I think I'm ready. <laughs> All right. Who is the most famous person in your phone book? Oh, that is a great question. I've got lots of competitive friends who think they're really famous, but in in reality, they're not that famous. Uh, I would say, keeping it rugby-wise, I would say Martin Johnson, who won the World Cup for England. And he was my captain, and he was my landlord as well. So I have to say that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. If you could trade lives with anyone for for a day, who would it be and why? Ooh. Wow, you can you say this is quick fire. I'm not being very quick, am I? Um No, don't worry, we're used Just you're, take you're, your time. Yeah, we, we we've had some people think it through before. Okay, with anyone in the world um for a day. I like lo- I love sport, I love business, I love Traveling, who can I think of who does all those things? Uh, oh wow, I'm stumped. I'm stumped. <laughs> we could come back to you on that. Yeah, let me, let me let me come back to you. Let me come back to you. Okay, next the other other quick fire question, and this is the last one before we start okay. talking about the career. If you could could have any superpower, what would it be and why? Oh, I run around at a hundred miles per hour. Uh, and I, I, yeah, so I, I ask this question to lots of people as well. What would you have? And I, a lot of it, people say, oh, I'd like to be able to travel as fast as, you know, as, as light or be invisible. I think the ability to be in two places at once, I tend to try and do that anyway, and I'm not very good at it. So I'd say speed oh, would be a good it, one. Yeah. <laughs> Teleportation would be handy too. Yeah. 
you never be late again. Yeah, very true. Okay. Let's talk about your career, if that's all right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. We're just going to have a little talk about before, before when you were growing up. Who are your who are your sporting heroes growing up? And is it true that you that you re- really didn't like rug- rugby until you were mid your mid teenage years? That is true. Yeah, good research. So I grew up in Coventry, uh, and I didn't go to you know. So I I played football. All of my teammates, all of my friends actually played football. So my dream was to play football and play football for the mighty Coventry City. I've never played rugby before, so I didn't really know what it was. I'd seen it on TV, and it looked really aggressive and. It didn't look great. People were getting kicked and bitten and there's people getting stitched up and everything else. So it was quite a scary sport at that and age. The last rugby player we, we interviewed, how many brain bones did he break? Oh, every bone in his body, I think. Yeah, yeah. it sounds like that could be, that could be Lewis Moody. At least twice. <laughs> He's had a lot, yeah. So, so, yeah, so I didn't start playing rugby till I was 13. Uh, and at my school, they didn't, it's weirdly in my school I went to, they didn't play football. So I didn't really have a choice. So I was forced to play rugby. And at the time, as you can imagine, you know, when you're at school and you get forced to do things you don't want to do, you don't really enjoy it. You get a little, what's the word? <laughs> I'll let you choose yeah, that word. No violent. <laughs> yeah, so, so I, I didn't enjoy it and I was forced to do it. I'm so grateful now that um, my PE teacher at the time saw something in me that, you know, that I didn't see in myself and sort of forced me or I say forced, uh, persuaded me to play rugby at the age of 13. So I picked up a rugby ball at the age of 13 for the first ever time. And my all my school friends played rugby on a Saturday for the team. Then we played for a junior rugby club called Barker's Butts on a Sunday. So, yeah, so I started playing at 13 and then I signed professional at the age of 16. OK. You entered a very strong t- team at Leicester with some great players such as Dean Richard, Martin Corey, Knight... Niall, Neil Back and Gran, Graham 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 Rantry. Rantry. What was it like as a young man go, going into this this dressing room? Yeah, really good question. There are those names you've mentioned there. They are some superstars. They are real superstars in the world of rugby. And as a as a young boy, I went to Leicester at sixteen, and I was very fortunate that coming from Coventry. One of my teammates, or at the time he wasn't my teammate, but he became a teammate, it was Neil Back, who you mentioned then. He's also from Coventry, and he's one of the best players England have ever had, uh, and one of, the be- one of the most professional people I've ever met in my whole life. So he used to drive me over with a friend, another guy called Pete Lloyd, um, who's got the same name, but no relation. So I was sort of, I learned from, I learned from Neil. So by being around him and being in his environment and in the car, listening to how he spoke and his approach to, to rugby and being a professional just being a person I picked up on those things so when I got to Leicester I was already thinking and starting to speak like those names that you mentioned there and so it, yes it was daunting because they are superstars and I wasn't I was a young 16 17 year old boy who uh I didn't talk I was sort of in that environment and I just listened uh, so it was quite scary but once you once you're in that environment and you sort of prove yourself and people can see that you're there to to work hard to train and you're about the team, they quickly put their arm around you and you become one of the, one of them. You become a team member. So they stop becoming these heroes and people you see on TV and they start becoming friends and teammates. So that, that happened quite quickly. So I, I'm very grateful for that. And that, now those names, they're all my friends now. They're all my friends <laughs> and, and in my phone book. <laughs> Is it true when you joined Leicester, Leicester that you lived with England captain 
Martin Johnson. What was that like? Yeah, so I don't know if you've seen Martin Johnson on TV, but certainly when I was there, it is true. And I signed at 16. I moved over to live with him. Uh, and it was quite scary because like now we know Martin Johnson is the, you know, England's greatest rugby captain, won a World Cup, won the uh, British Lions series, you know, most successful lesser captain. He's a, he's a hero of mine. Um, but then, you know, he's six foot eight, however tall he is. And I was a young, young boy and I'd go and then I was quite scared to talk, even talk to him. But then I lived with him. And again, he was like a bit like Neil Back, very professional, very focused. And he sort of helped me out a lot. I don't know. I don't know if he realises how much he helped me out. But when he listens to this podcast, he'll realise it, he'll recognise it. But he put me on the straight and narrow. So I, w- I was at school and um, I used to get into a little bit of trouble. And I used to, and, and I used to, rugby was a way for me to get sort of my frustrations out and play. And Martin Johnson and Neil Back and his other names, they put me on the straight and narrow and gave me a direction to go into. Uh, and I say rugby really helped. So living with him at an, an early age certainly put me, um, gave me the tools to think more professionally and actually make a decision. Do I really want to be a rugby player? You know, no one was forcing me. It was a choice. Did I really want to do it? And if I did, these are the things I'd have to sacrifice to try and be as good as those other players as well. And by living with Martin, that gave me the foundation to go on to have a, you know, a relatively successful career. You started playing for Leicester just as rugby became a professional sport. Did this help you as a teenager come into a professional team and did some of the older players find it difficult to adapt to a more professional setup? Yeah, another good question. Really good questions, guys. Um, yeah, so as I said, I was at school and the game wasn't professional. I, I was playing on a Saturday and I was only 16. And then, so my dream was not to be a professional rugby player because it wasn't an option. No one, there there's professional football, but not rugby. So when it came along and I moved across to live with Martin Johnson, my dream, I think I went from wanting to be a fireman to being a businessman you know, to being in the army, to being a wrestler, you know, all these, a pilot, when I saw Top Gun, all these different things I'd see and I wanted to do those things. And then then rugby came along and it became a, a real opportunity or a real option to actually pursue that. Um, so it was difficult um, for me because, well, it's actually, it was actually probably easier for me because I was coming straight from school. But the other guys, so the likes of Martin Johnson, Neil Back, Martin Corrie, Graham Rountree that you mentioned, they had already had jobs. So they were they were leaving their jobs to to pursue this rugby career where I was leaving school to go into it. So it was a new environment for everybody. No one really knew what it was like. So we sort of figured it out as we went along and we made mistakes and just winging it. <laughs> yeah, winging it. That's a great expert. Yeah, we were winging it. The club was winging it because they didn't know. And as players, we were sort of winging it and doing as we were told. And it took a few years to really understand what being a professional rugby player meant. And no one really knew. So yeah, it was a it was a good it was a good time to be there at right at the very beginning. Speaking of wings, <laughs> your debut was against Le- Leinster. on the wing at at La- Lansdowne Road, and you were selected head of Rory Rory Underwood Underwood. That's a lot of pressure. What are your memories of that? Yeah, I've not been asked that question ever before. I've done lots of interviews and lots of podcasts. I've never been asked that question. Again, another good one because, as I say, I think I was 17 and Rory Underwood, for those who are listening who don't know, he is an absolute hero. He was a a legend of not just rugby, uh, of Leicester as well. There was a restaurant in the the rugby club called The Underwoods for him and his brother, Tony Underwood. So being picked ahead of Rory Underwood was was massive, was massive for me as as a young 
as a young boy, but also the supporters. I can imagine in my head, I can imagine all the supporters going, "Why are we? Why are we not picking our one of our best players and we're picking this young kid from Coventry?" So there's a there's added pressure on me for that as well. Uh, and then to go away, as you said, at Lansdowne Road, which is where Ireland used to play all of their home internationals. It was a Friday night. It was a European Cup. It was a huge affair. It was on television. Um, yeah, I was very nervous, really, really nervous. But as I said before, earlier on, because I was surrounded by those senior players, they sort of helped me stay grounded, helped me stay focused on the job. You know, the good thing about rugby is it's not about one person. It's all about it's about the team, and that the team really helped me through that. But yeah, it was a really it's one of my f- fondest memories to play at Lansdowne Road um, against Leinster for my debut in the European Cup. It's, it's a huge it was a huge occasion, but I was definitely nervous. Did you win that match? We did win that match. Yes, we did. Well, there's the answer to that. Why they picked you? Yeah. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. The Tigers had some really good had had some really good good seasons, I guess. And then you reached the Heineken Cup final. You weren't selected to start the final against Reef, and you lost twenty eight nine in that game. What are your memories of the game? Yeah, so that was in 1996, the first time the club had ever got to a European Cup final. And it was a massive occasion. And I lived in a house with an, a young Irish player called Eric Miller, who went on to, to, to play nearly 50 times for Ireland, played for the British Lions. But at that time, he was only 20. And I was 17, 18, and he was only 20 as well. And in that season, there were two, if you think of Leicester, there were some real legends players. And Dean Richards is definitely one of them. You cannot talk about Leicester Tigers without mentioning Dean Richards or Rory Underwood or Martin Johnson. You know, they're, you know, they're some key people. So, so there, in that team, myself and Eric, who lived together, we were the youngsters, hope, hoping to be the next generation coming through. But the people who had the shirts were Dean Richards uh, and Rory Underwood. So we would play some of those games. So I, I remember personally, I played in the, the quarterfinal and the semifinal, uh, hoping to get picked for the final. And the coach came up to me. He was an Australian coach, Bob Dwyer. And he dropped myself and uh, Eric Miller and he came up to both of us at the same time and said, look, look, guys, it's nothing to do with how you've been playing. This is the biggest game in the club's history. And we've got, you know, English legends, British Lions legends and Dean Richards and Roy Underwood. I'm going for experience on this occasion. And it's very difficult to argue, you know, against, you know, a coach, a World Cup winning coach who, who was Bob Dwyer and argue against the selection when the biggest game in the club's history and he goes for two players who have been there, done it, versus myself and Eric, who were very young. Yes, it was tough. It, you know, when you, we play sport to win and we think we're, you know, the reason we play sport, the reason I played sport was to try and be the best and test myself. Uh, so I was disappointed to be on the bench for that game. Um, but I could see why the coach would make that decision. Uh, we lost the game, unfortunately. Myself and Eric got off the bench. But again, that sort of springboarded, that gave me the feeling of, you know, I've been very fortunate to have um, to have won lots of trophies. But I've also lost in finals. And when you lose in finals, that's the drive and the motivator to make you not want to have that feeling again. And that was a, I, I think about that final a lot because we lost it. Was it sat around the, in the changing room with those guys thinking, what can we do differently? And I, I think that was the, the catalyst for us to going on to be super successful later down uh, the years. But certainly that's a, a pivotal point in my career. Probably the first time I've been dropped um for a, a big game like that so it helped me prepare for other stuff as well so yeah so they did pick you and they lost that's correct yeah i wonder if that's a type of karma <laughs> i just i yeah well but it, some, some may say that i think you know 
I, I suppose the phrase that they use in rugby and in sport is horses for courses. And what that means is, depending on who you're playing, they'll pick a certain person if they think that person is the right fit for that particular fixture. Now, I hated that. I hated that expression because I thought that was a get out. That you could be playing really well, then some coach could say, oh, you know, you're playing really well, but it's horses for courses. You can't really argue with horses for courses. So I didn't like it, but hey, I can't go back and change that now. So it is what it is. What lessons did you take from losing that game that the club took forward to make some the, to make them into European force they became? Yeah, well, really key lessons we took from that. We were, and this may sound arrogant, and I don't want it to sound arrogant, but we were the best. We felt like we were the best team in Europe that year. We had a we had a great team. We were playing well. We'd beaten teams uh, on the way to the final. And I think the biggest mistake we made was we actually thought we were the best team in Europe. We thought we were going to win that game. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. So Overconfidence renders you blind. Absolutely, absolutely. Giving your opponent more than enough room to, well, kick you yeah. up. No offence. No, they did. They did. On that day, we you know, we played them. They, they beat us. They, they didn't just beat us. They beat us convincingly as well. And it was a real hard lesson for us as individual players, but also as a team and as a club. We changed our approach from that because we did things differently for that game, which we'd never done before. And we certainly didn't do again afterwards. But um, I say that loss, uh, as, as as tough as it is, that was definitely the springboard to make us change our approach moving forward, which I, which led us on to being super successful for, for many, many years. Are you saying there's a difference between beating someone and beating them convincingly? Yeah, we, so, uh, sometimes, yeah, sometimes when you win, sometimes you win a game and you think, you know, you, fit, you sit in the change room afterwards, you think, whoa. We had a lucky escape there. We won that. Maybe we weren't the best team. You know, the best team doesn't always win. Uh, and there are times when you lose a match and you have been the best team and some things haven't gone your way or decisions have gone the, you know, the opposition or one silly mistake has cost the team the game. And then so sometimes you can sit in the chamber and go, do you know what, guys? We lost today. They were a better team. We deserve to lose. And it's not very often I've been in change rooms where we sat around and look around, look each other in the eye and admit that we let ourselves and our supporters down that was definitely one of those days where we let ourselves down. We could have won that game. They were they were better than us on the day. And we take that on the chin and move on and learn from it. Learn from that and move forward, which we did. Leicester had a great few seasons from 1999 to 2002. In this period, you won two Henkin Cups and you won four Premiership titles. What made... That team, the te- that team, so good. And is there a certain season or game that stands out for you? Yeah. So again, this, this, the sequence of your questions follow a, a timeline, and I think what made that team so good that period there weren't that many changes between that team that started winning and the team that lost in the final in Breve. There are a few um, technical or tactical changes, but the core squad that lost in '96 to Breve were the same core squad that won the first Heineken Cup in 2001. And I think what we did, we kept, we became very strong as a group of players, both on and off the pitch. So yes, we worked hard and trained hard together as team members, but we also socialised and went out and our girlfriends and wives, they socialised and we understood you know, the commitment that we made to each other and the club that we wanted to create a legacy, if you like. We wanted to build something quite quite special and unique where we, you know people had won the European Cup before. And I remember after we won the European Cup for the first time, and that, that's my special memory, my, the Heineken Cup in 2001. We, we're sitting in the change room after you've just won a Heineken Cup. And the feeling was, we're going to do it again next year. 
So not not we didn't even stop and sell it, pause to celebrate and just what we've just achieved, but actually just to think there and then, do you know what? We want to do this again next year. So, so my, my biggest game that the, and that memory you asked me about, my memory it would be the Hunting Cup final in 2001 against Stade Francais. We were we played away in Paris in Parc de France. We'd already won the league. Uh, we'd already won the playoff shields. So we'd already won two trophies already, and this was the the big one. Yes, this is the third one. Yeah, we're, get, we're getting greedy that year. I'm uh, starting to lose count. Yeah. <laughs> a, a, lot, a lot of that team were coming towards the end of their career because, and they were they'd played in the one that we'd lost against Bremen. This may have been their last chance to sort of right the wrongs from before because that was hurting a lot of us. So it was a real special occasion for a lot of that team to go out there and win that match. And the fact we were never in the lead. Throughout the whole game, they were always in the lead all the way through. We kept nipping nipping away, but kept coming back to them. They kept kicking penalties and we kept coming back and scoring tries. And only in the last minutes of injury time were we able to to win that game. Uh, and you know, 60,000 people, all of our fans that have travelled over from Leicester, it is a massive occasion for us as individuals, but also the club and the city. If you haven't already, then be sure to download our new app, Gold, the home of challenges. Post and take on challenges, call out your friends, and top leaderboards. Challenges can be about absolutely anything, so be as creative as you like. Be sure to follow our social media, too, for awesome giveaways. That's gold. That was a brilliant game for you. What are your memories of that? Yeah, it was probably one of my favourite games. You know, I've been very fortunate to have played for England. And I, I put it up there as a real accolade and achievement. But playing in that final, having been left out the final in 96 as well, was was big to, to come back and play in this one. I scored a try in that match uh, in the second half um, and I managed to set one up as well. So I was, I, was, I was in a good space. I was playing well. I was on the verge of playing for England. Uh, so I was on the fringe. So I know I needed to play well to, con- to continue that pathway and get selected for England. And then to be able to score and contribute uh, to the team winning in injury time was massive for me. You know, I, I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, you know, my dream as a boy was to play for Coventry City, you know, and to score the winning goal in the FA Cup final for Coventry City. That was a real, a real dream of mine. So that didn't happen. And I changed sports and went down the path of rugby. So to score the winning try in the European Cup, which is the equivalent to the Champions League, you know, in football, to score that in, in, in injury time to help my team secure that trophy that eluded us was massive. It didn't get better than that, really. For, for me as a player, that's definitely a highlight of my career. <laughs> we have got in touch with a few of your former teammates. Oh, no. Who have given us some stories and questions for you. Oh, them? I am nervous now. By the way, all three of, them are from the, all three of the questions are from the same person. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> Uh, yes, they are. The first one, well, I mean, three, comes from Lewis Moody. Oh, no. Who says, says, can you ask Leon about his attempt to drop call that went into a touch? What were you thinking? <laughs> uh, I, I, can't believe he's, I can't believe he's giving me that question. And I can't get away from it. I can't, unfortunately, I can't hide from that fact. So my, my skill set as a player... I'm quite tall, so I'm six foot four. Um, I was relatively quick, so I was, I was one of those players. You can see by my ears, my ears are okay. So I managed to uh, keep my uh, my ears in one piece. But I was a I was a try scorer, so I scored. I stayed out wide and didn't get involved in all the scrums and um, lineouts like what Lewis did. But I never. I always wanted to score a drop goal 
in the match. I used to see people do it and they made it look so easy, the people who kicked the ball, the conversions. And I attempted it in training and it was hard. Uh, but I thought this one, one opportunity came along and we're playing against Wasps away. And I remember it really well, unfortunately, because it's quite embarrassing. Uh, and I got the ball and the posts were in front of me. And I thought, this is the moment. This is the moment I've been thinking about. I'm going to score a drop goal. And I, I remember lining up the drop goal, swung my foot back to take it. And uh, Lawrence Delalio, who was Wasps captain, who was also England captain, I think, at the time, he, he dived forward in the air to try and charge down the kick to block it. Uh, and I think it came off my shin uh, and it didn't get off the floor. It went underneath Lawrence. The, the aim is to get it over him and through the post, but it went underneath Lawrence and trickled across the floor. And my lasting memory of that was the commentator, uh, Stuart Barnes, saying uh, live on TV, I think his words were, oh my goodness, that has got to be the worst attempt of a drop goal in televised history. Okay. Uh, which I didn't know at the time, but then Lewis heard about it and my teammates heard about it and they recorded it on their phones and kept playing it back to me for years and years afterwards. So, yeah. So Not who a great won day. the match? <laughs> it could have won the match, but it definitely didn't. No, it went, uh, it no, no. Who, who won? Your team or the Wasps? Oh, oh sorry. Um, I think we won that. I think I think we won the game, but um, it, unfortunately, it wasn't because of my my kick. My kick was just goes in the history books has been embarrassing. <laughs> Anyways, Jacob, the next question from from Lewis. Lewis, then say to ask you about half high high five. So, <laughs> who is that, and why did you wave high five? <laughs> Lewis then, uh, I'm going to repeat the question. Lewis then says to ask you about high-fiving Sir Calve Clive Woodward. Lewis has stitched me right up here. He's supposed to be my mate and he's given me all my... <laughs> Looks like you're going to have some words for him. I am. I'm going to call him straight after this. So, so there was a thing with Clive. So, so Sir Clive Woodward, was uh, he played for Leicester. He played for England. He was the England manager who won the World Cup. And that's how he got his knighthood, Sir Clive Woodward. And there was a thing with Clive where... All the, I don't know if Clive's aware of this, but it was, it was high five Clive. So if you got a high five of Clive in training, he'd, he'd have his favourite players. He would walk past and like Will Greenwood and Johnny Wilkins, they'd high five them and you're sort of thinking, oh, they're quite cool. So we used to talk about it as young players, like I wonder if we're going to get a high five from Clive today. And that was, what, that was one of our aims to try and get Clive just to give us a high five in training. And I remember playing, I think we were, we were a training ground somewhere down in, uh, with England and I, I hit through this line in training uh, and I scored under the posts and everyone's clapping and cheering. It was only training. And I thought, yeah, that was a great line. And, I, and I, as I was running past, I saw Clive walking towards me and I thought in my head, I thought, this is my moment. Oh, this, I can tell where this is going to go. Oh, no. This is my high five Clive moment. Let me guess. And, I, and I ran, as I ran towards him, I saw his, I, I, what I thought, I saw his hand go in the air like this to do a high five. And I thought, yeah. <laughs> So oh. as he as he reached over, I put my hand in the air like this to do high five. And as I got closer to him, I realised he wasn't doing this. He was actually pointing to somebody else in the distance. So I ran past and sort of then tried to make out as if I didn't notice it and tried to scratch my head uh, and just carried on running past. But unfortunately, Lewis and all the other guys saw me do that. Again, I've never let me live it down. As a, I, I've, I've never had a high five from Clive. Uh, still didn't get one then. I've not had one since. But yeah, that is my sad high five Clive moment. Oh, no. Embarrassing, isn't it? Well, right now he's going to go there. <laughs> and Lewis Moody's final question is, 
as a double try score in the Henkin Cup final. How annoyed were you that that Austin Healy got man of the match? <laughs> oh, that final was in 2001. And I get that this question. People ask me a lot about this. Austin Healy is a roommate of mine. Well, a roommate of mine. Um, I say he's a roommate of mine, even though he's a lot older than me, is because no one in the team would room with him. So when you go away, you, you have to go in, in pairs and you room together. And I think I was the only person that we could put up with his constant complaining, his whinging the whole time. So we were roommates for a long, long, 10 years probably. And in that game, as you mentioned, I was very fortunate to have you know, had a half-decent game, scored a try. And in the, in the closing minutes of that match, um, our coach, Dean Richards, brought, moved Austin from scrum half to fly half, moved him out. And he went on a break through the middle in injury time. And I remember he, wrote, he, he broke down the middle and I was on the wing at the time. And I thought, he's going to float the ball out to me and pass. Or is he going to dummy and go himself and score under the post and take the glory himself and win the final for the, for the team? Well, I think we all know the answer to that one. Yeah, well, I, th- I thought he was going to do that. But then I thought, well, if he does pass it out there and I'm not there, then it's going to be my fault. So I ran along. I caught up with him and he floated this per- perfect ball out. And it was a perfect ball. I caught it in my... Sh- if the ball had been anywhere else... I'd have had to change direction and slow down. Then I may have not have scored, but he put it in the right place and I scored in the corner. Uh, and I thought, you know, to score the, 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 the try in injury time was massive for me. Uh, and I thought genuinely, because even though I scored that try, my teammate, Tim Stimson, needed to kick the conversion from the sideline for us to put us, you know, to guarantee it. So I thought in my head, which no one should do in rugby, it's a team sport. I thought, you know what? I think I may have won man of the match here. Uh, for a split second. But then I also thought, if I don't win Man of the Match, having scored two tries, um, I'd like Tim Stimson to win it because he got this kick from the sideline, which is such a tough kick, the hardest place to kick a ball from. All that pressure, 60,000 people, no time left on the clock to kick there. I thought that he should win it. And then we both found out that Austin Healy won it, which uh, which was, uh, what I say, disappointment? Not not a disappointment because he played he played well in that one minute of the game. Uh, as I wind him up, the other 79 minutes, he was non-existent. Uh, but he still played. The good thing about rugby is a team game. And one thing he did do, I went around his house for Christmas, uh, for Christmas drinks about two years ago. And he served me a drink. He said that he brought us all drinks out and he served me a drink in his man of the match tankard just to try and rub salt in the wound. So he didn't tell me. He got me a drink, brought it out on his big silver tankard and it said, I didn't cut man of the match, Austin Healy. And he said, here you go, you, you can drink out of this. I'll let you touch my uh, Man of the Match trophy. So I, I'm grateful that he let me touch his Man of the Match trophy. You know, if you want, we can try and see if we can get some payback from Lewis. <laughs> or whatever you want. Absolutely. We can try and see if we can try and pull some strings. Yeah, absolutely. Great idea. Oh, wait, we actually spoke to him before? Yeah, before you joined the podcast, we spoke to Lewis last year on the podcast. So Leon's oh. missed his chance, I'm afraid. Oh, there's, there's, there's always a chance. There's always a chance. You can always get the two together on another podcast. <laughs> yeah, maybe for another episode, you wish. Absolutely. The following year, you reach to fight the final again. This, however, is, however, the season you suffered loss of injuries. Correct, yeah. So, again, Lewis Moody features very heavily in this, this podcast because the week leading up to that final... We played against Munster at um, the Millennium Stadium. Uh, and the week leading up to it, I think it was a week before, two weeks before, I, we were playing at Welford Road and I went into a tackle. And Lewis, my teammate, just for the record, was on my team, supposed to be helping me out. He came in and oh, we, yeah. went, 
went into a ruck together and he sort of hit me um, in the wrong angle. And it's, I went into, and I sort of stretched my neck and I snapped a nerve in my neck and I had to go to hospital. So the game was stopped. And rather quickly, I might imagine. That was a yeah. nerve. Yeah, so the nerves snapped. Broken nerves are bad. They very, are very bad. Very bad. They're very bad. So stretch it to hospital. The game was stopped. So, uh, so I was stretched off, off the pitch straight to hospital and I was out for a few months. But what that meant was I was unable to to play in the um, the final, the you know, the next final in two weeks' time against Munster. But the team didn't need me. They went on to win successfully. We had a great squad. They went on to win. Um and yeah, it was a great it was a great time for the club. You know, we won the league that year as well. But but sadly, yeah, I didn't feature in that final in two thousand two. I did have a few injuries around then. <laughs> this is more my this is always my it's always funny when I see this question. You must have played with some great jokers when playing for England and Leicester. Which players were the best at jokes and pranks? And what was the best prank you've ever seen? I love this question. Yeah, they were good. You know me with the pranks. Lewis is a prankster. He's an absolute joker. <laughs> when he's on the field, when he steps across the line, uh, he's very serious and very focused. But when he's not across the line, he's, mess he's always messing around. So the team was for you, you have to have laughter and humour when you're playing sport like that at that level because it's so intense. So you need to have those periods and you need to have those team members who can help you, you know, just to release release the pressure, like a pressure valve. And I remember we, we used to have a thing, a thing called buffalo. So in sport, it's an international rule. So buffalo means you can only drink with your left hand. So regardless of what's so if I've got my drink here, I can only ever drink with my left hand. Um, Why is that? Because if you drink, that's the rule. If you drink with your right hand, whatever you whatever it is, let's say this was full. If someone, if I'm, if so, I get caught drinking with this in my right hand, and someone shouts buffalo, that means I, I have to drink whatever's in there, all of it down. So, th th so that sounds like a really simple game. And I remember at half time, so that's a fun game you play when you're not playing rugby, right? So I remember at half time, we were playing a game. Uh, I can't remember. I think we we're playing against Newcastle, and one of the team, one of the, we weren't playing very well. And we were in the team getting getting a bit of a telling off by our coach at half time. And one of the guys had forgotten. Uh, There's an international rule. It happens. It's 24 hours a day. There are no no excuses. One of the guys had forgotten and took a drink out of his water. It was like a litre water bottle. Uh, took a little sip out of his water bottle in the middle of this uh, halftime team talk. And I think it was Jordan Murphy who played for Leicester in Ireland. He, in the middle of the team talk, he went, that's a buffalo. And, cut, and in the middle of the meeting, and the player had this a litre or a litre and a half bottle of water, or Lucozade, I think it was, and he had to drink the whole bottle of Lucozade, a litre and a half water. Now, I don't know if you've ever drank that much Lucozade or, or that much anything. Trying to run around for 40 minutes after you've done that is quite difficult. But rules are rules. Rules are rules. And he did it. And I, I think we all laughed at it. But thankfully, we won the game uh, and we came out of it at the end. But we, we look back and laugh at that. It's quite funny that you did it. Jeez. He might have been sick. He needed the toilet. He needed to oh. keep going to keep going to the toilet before he went out on the pitch. <laughs> Anyways, I next just question. imagine he was just going doing it, and then he then starts to like be sick. <laughs> All right, next question. You made your England debut against South Africa. You had an interesting start to your England career, and had and gave a lovely right hand jab at Tyson Fury. That Tyson Fury would have been proud of. Can you tell us what happened? What ha What happened? And was it nervous nerves and adrenaline that got the better of you that day? Yeah, well, really good question again. So I was in, I was on the fringe for England a few for a few years. I went to the '99 World Cup squad, 
um, with Clive, with High Five Clive, uh, and I didn't get selected to play any games. I was in the squad. I was, a, I was only a few of us that didn't play any games. So I started to think, am I ever going to make my breakthrough? Am I ever going to get given the chance to to get on the pitch? And I remember playing, we went out to South Africa and I played in the midweek team. So how it works is you have a test team. So the, the, the main team, the first team that play. So there were two test matches against South Africa and there were three midweek teams. So that's like your your B team. So you play the the second string, the B team would play in those games in the midweek and the better players would get selected to go and play in the, the big match on the Saturday. So I played on the Wednesday and I played okay, scored a couple of tries. And then I got, I got named on the bench uh, as a substitute for England versus South Africa at Loftus versus Fountain Pretoria. Massive game, massive ground, so much history. And I remember being on the bench and because I'd been on the bench and I'd been involved in that a few times and not got on, I was quite nervous. I thought, is this the time when I'm going to be able to get off the bench and play? And the first half went and I didn't get on uh, and the second half went and Mike Tyndall, who, uh, who was the person who I was on the bench for, waiting or Mike Cap. He kept going down injured and I kept getting down, taking my tracksuit off, thinking I'm going to run onto the pitch. I'm going to get my England debut, everything I've been dreaming of. And then he'd, he'd get back up and he'd be fit to play and I'd have to go and sit back down and put my tracksuit back on again and wait. And then about 15 minutes to go in the game, he went down and he didn't get back up. And the message came down from Clive and the management team saying, tell Leon he's going on. So I stripped off my tracksuit, getting ready to run onto the pitch, thinking this is my moment now. Well, that PE teacher... That forced forced me to play rugby. This is this is thanks to him. This is all my family, my friends, all those things I've done. This is me. This is my moment. And I remember running onto the field, and a lot of my because Leicester were good around then, as we talked about before, we'd won lots of trophies. Most of the England team were Leicester players, so I knew them, which was really great for me. Because it's like playing for Leicester, really. So I'd run on. There'd be Martin Johnson, Neil Back, Darren Garforth, Austin Healy. They were, they were all a, a, around. And I ran on and I saw them and they, and they said, they congratulated me, but there's no time to congratulate because there's a game, I'm in the middle of a game. And I remember Jono um, said to me, get your hands on the ball really quickly, get stuck in, congratulations, we'll talk about it afterwards. And I got the ball, I ran in, when the first touch of the ball, I, I ran in, you're not going to be able to see it, but I've got a scar on my chin here where I got kicked in the face by one of these South Africans. So I went, I rocked over and one of the South African players kicked me in the face. Um, his name is Devet Barry. And let me guess... Fight or fight or fight response kicked um, in. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like it's like you've seen the game. So I, I I remember just tasting blood in my mouth, thinking, "What's happened here?" Because my emotions were so high. I've just went onto the pitch. I've just got my debut. John Owen said, "Get your hands on the ball." I've just ran into a contact. I've been smashed around. I've been kicked in the face. Heads all and over the place. And, the, and then I reta- I retaliated. Uh, sadly, I retaliated, and he kicked me in the face. I retaliated and sort of. Um, the lads call it a Coventry hammer. So I, so I've just, I've je- gently jabbed him in the face uh, to say, don't do that again. Uh, and, and the referee blew, blew his whistle really loudly. And I thought, and I had blood everywhere around my face, everything else. So I thought, great, I've got a penalty. We've got the penalty because the ref seen him kick me in the face. I've got blood everywhere. So great. And my, I've made a positive contribution to the match straight away. And as I get off the floor and the referee's blown the whistle for a penalty, I look up in the corner and there's a big screen in the corner of the pitch, a massive screen you see at stadiums. And it doesn't show me getting kicked in the face. All it shows is me on top of this, looks like a poor defenceless South African player and in slow motion, sort of punching him in the face, which in slow motion, which wasn't what, you know, that was, that was not in my head how it happened. And I was trying to tell the referee to rewind the video, to look back, look at my face, everything else. And the referee didn't see that. Uh, so unfortunately, as I walked towards him, he put his hand in his pocket 
And I thought, I'm going to get sent off. I've been on the pitch for a minute. Uh, and he called the captain over, Martin Johnson. And as he's calling him over, he puts his hand in his pocket. And I'm thinking, oh, no. Everything I'd aimed for in, in my life, my sporting career, I've been on the pitch for one minute. I'm about to get sent off on my debut. The worst feeling in the world. And as I walked over to him, he sort of paused and looked at me. I think he recognised I'd just come on the pitch. He probably saw the blood and everything else. And he pulled his hand out of his pocket and just pointed at me and said, any more of that and you're going off. However, I was grateful that he didn't send me off. But what he did do, he gave them a penalty. And from that penalty kick, they kicked it through the posts. And ultimately, you know, 15 minutes later, that was a kick that lost us the game. So they, they won the match based on, unfortunately, my uh, my reaction on the pitch. So it, was, it wasn't a great debut for me. It was amazing that I managed to play for England. Amazing that I did it with my lesser teammates. But an action, a moment, uh, lapse in concentration led to a penalty. Um, and they kicked it and we lost the game. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a tough day at the office for me. We also got in touch with another former teammate of yours. Oh, no. Gordon Murphy. <laughs> did we, didn't we interview him once? We did interview him. Yeah. Uh, what's we interviewed he, a lot uh, of your former teammates. Yeah. <laughs> They're stitching me up, aren't they? They're stitching me up. He told you to ask about your yellow Megan car. Right. And are you a good driver? I don't know why this question was asked. I'm assuming he's taking a stab at you for something you did. He is. He is. There, are, there, there are two things. There are two things there. Uh, unfortunately, I have a, um, a a reputation or a history of car crashes. I've had two um, significant car crashes, unfortunately, where where one where the car exploded uh, and blew me and my my um, the drive. I was a passenger in that one. And it blew me away from the car and I broke, I ended up breaking my arm. And that's why I, I always wore an arm guard because I, my arm broke and my, both my bones came through my arm. It's it, it, it horrendous. That was, that was what. Phantom's actually cringing. Yeah, it, yeah, it was. So I have it. So I, that's why I wore that arm guard throughout my whole career because I, I had to have two metal plates in my, in my arm. And then a few years later, that was on my 18th birthday. Then a few years later, uh, I was a driver and uh, I had a car crash then unfortunately as well. And the car rolled rolled over a few times. I've got a big scar in my neck where a scaffold pole came through the car and took a chunk out of my neck. And I was, I reckon I'm half a centimetre away from it taking my, wiping my spine out. So that I've been very, 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 very lucky on those two car crashes um, to survive, basically, to be here to still play rugby. I think that's what Jordan's talking about. Am I a good driver? I would say I am a good driver. I'd say those, one, I was a passenger and the other one was, uh, yeah, it wasn't really my fault. It was the weather conditions. Uh, and the the yellow car, I get a lot of stick about that because my first, I bought a yellow car, a yellow convertible car, and I, ha I had a private registration plate that said Lloydie on it. And I was only young. And the boys, it looked like they used to think I was a hairdresser. They thought I was a hairdresser. They, every time I took a train, they'd ask if I wanted to cut their hair for them. Uh, and they used to put stickers on my car and all sorts of stuff. But me being stubborn, I, 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 I love that car. I, I would still have it now if I could. I'd still have that car now. But the lads thought it was really funny to put stickers and stuff all over my my. Right, yellow McGann. That's not very nice. <laughs> Nearly joined um, Gloucester in 2007. Why did you decide to leave Leicester. Leicester and move? Yeah, so I signed for Leicester at a young age. I told you before, at 16. So the Leicester was my club. I'm from Coventry, but Leicester's just up the road. And that, that was my team. And I never envisaged leaving Leicester. If I was going to leave, I was probably going to go to a French team. Uh, Toulouse was really my uh, favourite French team. However, we all get old 
and there were some some younger players coming through, and there was a, a great young player called Tom Vandal who was coming on. Just just as I replaced Rory Underwood towards the end of his career, Tom Vandal um, came along, and he was pushing pushing me out of the team. So it wasn't really a case of me saying, Do you know what, I'm going to leave and go to Gloucester. It's more a case of me not getting picked. I had a choice of uh, either not playing for, for Leicester or continuing my career at a new team. So I left Leicester. It was a, it was a sad day to leave the club. Uh, but it was the right decision to go to Gloucester, and uh, it was a uh, yeah, it was tough because when when I was at Gloucester, Gloucester were a great team. Like some, they got some superstars in their team as well, like Mike Tyndall, Ian Bolshaw. We had Leslie Vinicola, uh, Andy Tittle. We had some real world class players in that team. But the difficult thing for me was playing for Gloucester to come back to Leicester to play against Leicester at Welford Road. That was quite a challenge for me. I mean, only ever played at Leicester in my whole career, but. Sport is sport. Life is life. It moves on. We all have to move on as well, don't we? So, yeah, it was a tough time, but I was very grateful I got the chance to play for Gloucester as well. Now, last night, Dad told me a bit about you and then your age came up. You're actually younger than my dad. Just so am, you I, know. am I really? Good, good, yeah. good. He's about quite... 40. He's in his 40s and apparently you're about five years younger than him. I think five. Right. I like that. I like, but people because I started so young, people think that I'm a lot older. That people think I'm the same age as Martin Johnson and Neil Back and everybody else. But I'm about six, seven years younger than them. I'm about three or four years younger than Lewis Moody, but he won't believe it. All right. You then retired from rugby and went back to university and went on to graduate weight with a first class degree in business leadership and management. Why did you decide to do that? And how has that helped you since finishing rugby? Yeah, I retired. I left school at 16, uh, played professional rugby all the way through. I retired at 30. So I was quite a young when I retired. In rugby terms, that's not that young. But in the in reality, in the real world, that's quite young. Uh, so going back to, to study, I went, started studying at 35. To go to university at 35 was really tough because you sort of you get out of the habit of reading and learning and remembering stuff. But I felt like I needed to do that to try and catch back up with you know, the stuff that I'd missed out on from having a great career playing sport. So I did a lead, I did a, a degree in leadership management. One, it was so that I could put some um, ex, some academic rigour, if you like, some research around my experiences. I'd, pl- I'd played with some amazing leaders, some great captains, some not so good leaders and some not so good captains as well. But I suppose trying to understand that and how could I use those experiences to then help forge my next career. So I went to university to do that. Then I went on to do a, another degree, did a master's, did an MBA. So studying, studying is a, I'm not an academic, but I've certainly started studying and enjoying studying in my later years. And uh, now I can understand how it can benefit me in my, in my career. So I'm, I'm a late, I'm a mature student. You are really good at work, at networking with people. As a podcast, we have to network with a lot of people too. Can you give us some good tips on networking, please? This is Absol- our, our podcast. Yeah, so so networking. I love networking. Uh, I didn't know it was called networking. I just like I like meeting people. I like meeting people, drawn to people who've got good energy. And I find uh, why I've got such a good network and a good um, black book of contacts is because I don't ask for anything. You know, I go. I always my top tip I give to anybody when they're trying to network is what can I get? How can I help that person? If you start with that that mindset of how can I help them, then straight away. You're, you differentiate yourself from everybody else who's networking, who's always trying to get something. So by asking, how can I help you? You always remember that person that can, who offers you help or can actually help you. And I'd like to think that I'm one of those 
people that if someone needed something, they'd come to me because they know that I would genuinely try my best to help them. And if I couldn't help them, I'd introduce them to somebody else in my network who might be able to help them. And it's that giving, it's that giving first is really important when, uh, for me, it's really important when sort of building your network and it's sort of held me in good stead with my, my career in sport and outside of sport. You set up the business to Centrum. Centrum Solutions. Can you tell us about that, please? And what does it do? Yeah, so Centrum Solutions, we work with uh, elite performing individuals. So people from elite sport, so people who have lived the dream, achieved great things in sport, and also people who've worked in the military. So people uh, who have, again, reached the top of their career in the military. Uh, and there's quite a lot of the similarities between sport and military because they're very structured worlds. So in sport, as a player, I, I'm always told where I've got to be, what I've got to wear, what I'm eating, you know, what time I've got to be there. All those things are sort of very quite regimented. And the same in the military, it's also quite regimented. They're told where they've got to be, what they've got to eat, what they've got to do, and they'd be following instructions. So what we do is we, when you come out of those worlds, and like in my example, I retired from sport at 30, where most people in their jobs, when you mention retirement, it's 65 or 70 when they've had a long career. In sport and in the military, you can't retire. You've got to continue going on because you've still got a long time left to go. So we help those individuals figure out what it is they're passionate about. How can we help them find a job or a career even where they can get paid to do the things that they love doing? Now, it's hard to replicate running out at Walford Road, at King's Home, at Twickenham, Lansdowne, anywhere else. Uh, and you've got 60,000, 80,000 people shouting, cheering your name, cheering your team's name. When you when you no longer can have that, it's very hard to replicate that same adrenaline, that same buzz, that rush. But there's absolutely things in life that can get close to it. So what we do is we help people find what they are and help them put their wrap the support network around them so they can use that as their career to go forward and, and just be a real positive um, person. Before we finish, we like to play a game. With, we'd like to play a game with you that we play with all our guests. The game is called Wrong Answers Only. <laughs> okay. We will ask you a range of questions and you will give us the wrong answer. Are you ready? I am. Favorite place to go on tour? Island. Best play player you've ever played with? Jordan Murphy. Highlight of your career? My England debut. I think Austin Hughley is a... Really, really nice bloke. <laughs> and we all know the truth to that. <laughs> <laughs> the best thing about Leon Lloyd is... He's grumpy and moody. <laughs> Every week on the podcast, on, on the podcast, we ask our guests to ask questions to each, to each other. So we get the guests to ask a question, but they have no idea who the question is going to be for. This week's question came from our previous guest, which was European bantamweight, bantamweight champion, boxing champion, Liam Davis, who, who asked, who asked, can you tap your head with one hand and rub your belly, tummy, belly with the other? <laughs> Why he asked that? I have no idea. Do you, want, do, you want me to, do you want me to try and do that? Yes. I swear if he actually does, I'm going to laugh. <laughs> you can't do it. <laughs> <Yay>! <laughs> Could you do the same, please? Can you think of a question for our next guest? But we aren't going to tell you who the guest is. The question can be anything you want, as the last question clearly stated. Okay. 
I would a question for your next guest is who would play you in a movie about your life? Which actor or actress would play you if there's a movie about your life? Oh, that's actually Whoa. a good one. That's a good one. Thank you so much for talk for taking the time to chat with us today, Leon. We really enjoy speaking with you. And it means so much to us as a school to be able to have the opportunity to speak with you. Thank you. Hey, and the, the pleasure is absolutely mine. Thank you very much for having me on. Some amazing, great questions. You've done a lot of research there, some great questions, some challenging ones, some fun ones, and you've helped me reflect on a, a career as well. So thank you for having me. Have a nice day. And you, See cheers, you. bye. See you around. See you around. So what did you like about that podcast, today's episode? Obviously, I think he's a nice guy and a cool guy. <laughs> that poor car. <laughs> But I didn't know that he, like, survived two car crashes. He got in the same mouth crashes as my grandparents! Jeez! I mean, one was that my grandparents smashed right into a tree! Jeez! He, he survived the same amount of car crashes my grandparents did! And I didn't know, because I never watched sports, I didn't know that he got kicked, like, to the face. And but, then... and yet... And yet the opponent team got the penalty. Yeah. Was the, was the one he punched bleeding? Don't think so. No. The other guy literally made him bleed. Yeah. Maybe That's not the, cool. Not maybe, cool. But if the guy didn't go too fast or didn't do it, that would have been alright, obviously. I don't know. Anyways, this has been a great episode. Thank you so much for listening. Please Please continue listening to us on YouTube, on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, etc., etc., etc. And please continue and please help us grow the podcast by passing it on to your friends and family that haven't seen it. Yet. See you around. See you. The TWS Sports Podcast combines autism and sport. This unique podcast is hosted by children with autism, and each week they interview famous sportsmen and women from around the world. The TWS Sports Podcast takes you deep into the sports star's career, their highs and lows, what happens away from the field of play, and so much more. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. The TWS Sports Podcast, where autism and sports combine.